Already, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I trust everybody had a good week of trials and tests this week. <laughs> wow. How many of you think Jesus will put you to the test? Okay. As long as you know that. In fact, I stayed up till, I don't know, 1 or 2 o'clock this morning. Ty sent me a, a deal that he'd been studying on the 10 trials or the 10 tests that the children of Israel had to go through in the wilderness. And I stayed up till wee hours this morning reading that. And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to keep studying on that until I get that down. That's great. He done a great job on that, I will have to say. And then I'm going to have to teach it to you because it's great. Oh, goodness gracious. I don't like trials and tests. Do you? But you're going to go through them. Everybody does. Everybody goes through those trials and tests. It's unfortunate. But anyway, we had a good week this week. We went out to Fresno, California and taught the Word of God uh, for a few nights. We had we got to see the Lord do some wonderful things. He really moved in some hearts of some people out there. We had a great trip out there and a great trip back. And uh, it was just a great time. And the weather was beautiful all the way out and all the way back. I, I don't I don't think we even saw a cloud all the way out there and all the way back. It was just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful weather. Couldn't have been any better. Uh, temperature's kind of like it is here, 80, 80 degrees in the daytime. Really nice, nice weather in California. But uh, one thing about it, California is burning down. Do you know there's been thousands, and I'm sure some of you all watch television. I don't, but... Uh, California, I forget how many thousand acres they said has burned. And this is probably one of the worst fires they've ever seen in California. But I, I don't even know how many thousands of acres, but thousands of acres and many homes have burned in California. Uh, you know, now, you know, wow. Uh, who knows, uh, you know, all these things that are happening all around the country, you know, is because of sin in our country. In fact, I was asked a question earlier this morning. I was speaking in a, another church earlier this morning, and uh, I was asked a question about a missionary that was going down to some foreign country, and they're making filters to take out the poison out of the water so the people could drink. And, of course, uh, as I'm talking about sin uh, is, the re- is the reason for all these things happening, uh, one of the ladies came up after it was all over, and she said, Now, how would you associate what you taught this morning with what this missionary is doing about filtering out the poison out of the water? Why is the water there? I said, Well, God said in His Word clearly that if we will serve Him as a nation, and if we will put Him first in everything we do, He will bless our food and our water. So I said, the poison in the groundwater that those people are drinking that's killing those children is a result of sin. You know, so, I mean, if you don't believe that that would be the case here, all you've got to do is just open your eyes in the Dallas-Fort Metroplex or turn the television set on. And if you don't see sin everywhere you go, you ain't looking. I mean, there's sin everywhere. I don't, I don't uh, turn on television, but I will have to say, well, every time we go to a hotel somewhere that has CNN, I try to flip on CNN to get a few little glimpses of maybe I can find out what's going on in Israel. 
And so I, I looked at a little of that uh, uh, this week when we had a few minutes, uh, not very many minutes, but as I'm trying to go from one channel to another to find CNN, because when I go to a hotel like that, I don't know where they are. I don't know what channel they're on. But, I mean, you click, 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 and every channel you click on, you almost have to immediately click to another one. Because it's either wicked, foul, murdering, sex scenes, devastation, people fighting, mur- comedies. Are, 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 I mean, even the cartoons are wicked. You can't even stop on a cartoon. Somebody's killing somebody. You know, so if you want to feed that stuff into your heart, you'll never be able to walk with God. And you can't walk with God and watch that trash of the world. So that's where we are. And, uh, you know, we feed the trash of the world into us. And But I, don't, I want to walk with God, don't you? Amen. I want to see the king answer my prayer when I pray. But if you don't have a clean heart in there, he's not going to do it. You've you got, you got to walk in obedience to his word. Now then, I know, I don't know what they did with all the microphones. Usually the one I used to set up here is not here. So uh, what did they do? I've left them all over here, okay? Praise the king. Now then... Uh, Turn all those off and you should run the batteries down. I guess I'm a little stingy with the Lord's money. You know. A thrifty guy, you know. I'm thrifty when it comes to turning the mics off, you know, to save the battery power. Uh, and I I have been I have been accused of being the money man. With Thurman it's all about money. Yeah, it is. I want to be very thrifty with it, you know. Uh, I've never had an abundance of it like some people have, you know, so I try to be thrifty. But I'm going to tell you what, if I had an abundance of it, I would still be thrifty with what I got. You know, I'm not going to be abusive with whatever God gives me. So, but anyway, I know we have a testimony or two here today. Uh, I've heard, already had a couple of people tell me they've got testimonies. So, who wants to be first and tell us about your testimony that you got? Well, we got one right over here. Deborah, she's, oh, Okay. Well, Deborah, she jumped up her hand right quick, so come up here, girl, and tell us what Jesus has done for you. Well, this was actually left over from last week oh, when okay. we were talking. Uh, I had a challenge with in our family that's been a legal battle, battle for some, some time, so we're always having new lawsuits come up. And when I went out of town last week, we'd all prayed that I would uh, be victorious in it. And when I got to my attorney's office, there had been a snafu, and they'd said, you're here. Didn't you get the email? Well, the people who were suing me withdrew the, the lawsuit. So, Amen. Praise so. the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So that was one of them. And I'd had others before that we've been victorious in, and so I, I always give this as we go. And then also... Uh, Thurman and I had prayed a couple of weeks ago for a new job for myself. And while I was out of town, I was checking my emails for that erroneous email that never showed up. And uh, there was a request that I come in for a job interview. Someone had seen my resume online. And so I went, I called them immediately and went in Monday. And so they hired me. So now I have a new job. Amen. Praise the Lord. And, and Pray about then, everything, well, right? Absolutely, Never, absolutely. Well, Amen. even the small things, because uh, I had w- one of my pets went down, and he had been ill for a long time, and I didn't have anything that I could do as far as taking him to a vet because he was very large and elderly and wasn't really mobile. 
So it was obvious that, you know, the Lord had spoke to me before saying that it was kind of time for him to go. So I had didn't want him to suffer, and I called the pound to come pick him up to take him and euthanize him, but it was just breaking my heart to do that. So I was praying. I said, Lord, please don't let his last moments be like that. So he took him, and I was so thrilled. Amen. <laughs> it's kind of hard, isn't it, Debbie? Yeah, it Even with an animal that you love. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then I had a friend of mine call, and she was praising God because she'd been living in a bad situation for some time. And she had been blessed with a new place to live, exactly what she wanted, in her budget. And so she had just finished moving. And then she was telling me that the Lord spoke to one of her children, and uh, he called her and said, well, Mom, you have to pay this and you have to pay that, don't you, in with your rent. And uh, she said, yes, I do. And he goes, well, you don't have to worry about it. I'm going to take care of all of it. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Wow. Miss Ruthie hadn't been here in a while. She's probably built up to, to a three. Praise the King. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Now, you Lord, can't preach now. You can't preach. <laughs> Lord, may my words be few and I speak your words only in Jesus' name. Uh, I just want to share, Pastor's talking about the testifier, and the Lord has opened a door for Bob and I to minister in a little church called Without Walsh Church, and uh, I didn't want to go there, I wanted to come here, and so anyway, my husband kept saying, the Lord wants us to go there, finally I, I obeyed the Lord and my husband and went there, and he opened the door for us to, to minister every Sunday morning and every Amen. Tuesday night, and I was, uh, the Lord had me uh, put in my heart that scripture that David mentioned a while ago, Matthew 5. Uh, and it says, leave your gift at the altar and go make it right with that one that has ought against you before you leave your gift at the altar. And there's a whole lot of people in our class that are addicted to alcohol, drugs, and uh, pornography and so forth on Tuesday night. And so, anyway, most of them have unforgiveness towards Tom, Dick, and Harry, Mom, and Daddy, you know, a whole lot of people. And so when I spoke that word, uh, this one guy, it took about two or three weeks when I kept speaking that word because I knew that they were going to be in a lot of tribulation because, you know, the Bible says Satan's going to uh, come and give you much uh, advantage if you have unforgiveness. He has advantage over you. So anyway, this one guy finally came over and he reached over and forgave this one guy that had been speaking to for a long, long time. And then we had another word that came forth on first fruits and give the first fruits. So that same guy had a trial that he was supposed to go to, and uh, anyway, $7,000 or 10000 or whatever, and he'd been in prison, you know, off drugs and everything. And, and so anyway, then he, uh, not only did he forgive that guy, when we took up the offering, he came and put more in as a seed offering, not to us, but to the Lord. And anyway, the next day, the court trial was canceled, and it just shows you, you know, the testifier is going to come to prove the work that God's doing in us. And if we don't repent and have forgiveness, we will stay in the fire Amen. and burn Amen. Until, we until we repent. We don't want to burn, do no. we? No, absolutely. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Ms. Ruthie. Praise the Lord. The girl in the blue dress. I mean, that's not quite blue. I need you to get that a little bluer. <laughs> you don't mind if I kid you like that's not course joking, is it, Bonita? Does that border on course joking? I hope not, Lord. Forgive me if it does. <laughs> Last year, I gave the testimony. I think so. That um, yeah. I went to Ohio and visited my family. My brother got married, and my brother that's just under me was for all intents and purposes, dying. He was up and around, but he was so skinny, and, and you could just see he was, had demons. 
and his body functions quit working. He couldn't go to the bathroom. He couldn't eat or anything. And so I cornered him in the kitchen, and I anointed him, and I prayed for him, everything I could think of. And, and finally he said, I'm all right now. And he went and he ate, which he hadn't been able to do. So I just went to Ohio a couple of weeks ago, and I just praise the Lord. My brother has regained his weight. But, see, I've been praying ever since I went there. God would get me up some nights and keep me up all night praying for my brother. I just, it was like a burden on me, and I could see things in the Spirit happening to him, so I knew it wasn't for nothing. So when I went there this year, his family, he has teenage girls and a boy that's about 12. The atmosphere was so different in his house. Uh, they were, all had joy in their faces. They all looked healthy. My brother, he just glowed. He had all filled out, no wrinkles. It was just awesome. They had been on the verge of a divorce last year. This year, they're getting along great. So I am just praising the Lord that he has saved my brother. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's what happens when you pray. When you pray in faith. All right. Praise the King. Yeah, praise the King. Anybody else got another one before we go on into the Word? No more? That's the last one? Okay, praise the Lord. Let's get into the Word. I'm going to read something to you today. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about this same Scripture, uh, but I'm going to read this same Scripture again because this Scripture that I'm reading today is something that we're seeing in so many churches today. So many churches are going here which is where God tells us not to go. So I want you, I'm going, to, I'm going to read in this great big long book of Jude. You know, the book of Jude is a long book. One paragraph or one page. I'm going to start about, on down about verse 3, where it's talking about the danger of false teachers. The danger of false teachers. He said, and now, of course, I'm reading out the NLT, so it may be read a little different. He said, Dearly loved friends, I have been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. Now, we do have a wonderful thing in salvation. You know, I mean, it's wonderful. Most of us that are Christians are like I was most of my life as a Christian. I can remember going for years in my workplace and everywhere I went. And, I mean, I didn't ever tell anybody about Jesus for years. I mean, I was a Christian. I I was a Sunday school teacher and serving as a deacon in the Baptist church. And still, at work, I never talked about Jesus. You know why I didn't talk about Jesus at work? Well, I didn't know anything about him. I didn't know anything about the king. I'd read the book a little, but not very much. So, I, I didn't know a little, but not very much. So, I couldn't share very much. But... Jude here is wanting to write to people about this wonderful thing we have in salvation. Well, now then, it's easy for me to talk to somebody about this wonderful Jesus because I've had a really close personal experience with the king. So it's easy to talk about my favorite subject. But now I find that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the truth of this magnificent gospel, this good news. Defend the truth about it. That's what he's saying. We have to defend it. Today, we're not having any problem with defending the gospel today, are we? 
There's not any problems. Our government is serving God. You know, they have prayer before they open. At every school we are, we are required to read the Bible in every class. We go to church and we love God and we never have any fighting, bickering, or nothing else in church or school or nowhere else. Right? Wrong. Wrong. Yeah, that's what we want it to be, right, Tom? But unfortunately, it's not that way. Because we today have to fight. I mean, I think about the letters I get from Jay Sekulow and his organization. And he's just one of many. And, of course, all of you know, November the 7th, we're going to have a vote again, right? We're going to go to the polls. Are we? Uh, And you better find out who you're voting for and what they believe. Don't go down and just mark on a ballot. You read up on those people. Now, uh, I've, I've, I've got a few of these voters' guides deals here, and I guess I, I've only got two or three of them, and, uh, but I'll leave a couple of them here that we can read and look at, but we're going to have to leave them here until I get some more of them because I've only got a few, and if you take it home with you, then nobody else gets to read it. But I have a couple of them I'm going to leave up here uh, over the next few weeks, so when you're here at church... You can look at these things to see how these people that are there in office, how they voted, what they believe. In other words, I don't know about you, but I don't believe in perversion in the church. I don't believe in perversion in government. You know, so I'm not going to vote for a man that tells me he's a homosexual. You know, I ain't going to vote for him. I don't care what his track record is. I don't know what he's done. If he openly tells me, that I'm governor of this state, now not this state, but I happened to turn on the other night in Larry King. I flipped on CNN, and some of you may have seen it. I, I was going to try to get some news information about what's going on in Israel. When I saw it, it said CNN, I watched it a few seconds, and it was Larry King, and he was interviewing a past governor of a state which had his lover on there, and they're both homosexuals. We're, we must be proud of that in America. To put something like that on national television? The guy walks in and kisses the other guy right on the lips. I thought, how sick. But see, that's what we're, that's what we're doing. But, and why is this happening to us? Because we, the body of Christ, are not defending the gospel. We won't say nothing to nobody. We're afraid we'll lose our job. You know, so we're afraid. So I think it's time the church comes out of the closet. I think it's time the church steps up to the plate and says, God requires holiness. We require holiness. But where's that holiness got to start? Right here with me. I've got to make that. I've got to make that decision. Yes, Lord, I'm going to walk holy before you. I'm going to walk in obedience to your word. I'm not going to go into sin of no kind. I'm going to walk holy. It's a decision you and me make every day, isn't it? Yes, it is. Absolutely every day. You have to make that choice. And I'm going to tell you, when I, when I got through reading and studying last night till the wee hours this morning on the ten trials and tests of Israel in the wilderness, I saw us in every one of them. Every day we're put to those tests. I mean, that got put to them over a period of time. But man, I've seen some of those. I've seen some of those. They t- all ten of them be, come against me in the same day. Awful, isn't it? But God will put you to the test. Well, He says we have to stand in defense against this gospel, this good news. God gave this 
unchanging truth once for all to His holy people. Now, who has this? His holy people. The people of God. The people that Jesus Christ has called out, which is you right here. You're a part of that. All of us are members. He said, I say this because some godless people have wormed their way in among you. Oh, no, we would never get anybody godless in the church. They wouldn't come in amongst us and try to tell us things. No guy would ever weasel his way in and become a song leader or a song director or a deacon or whatever or a minister to the youth or anything else. And then he wants to look around at the ladies and take one of them out and do something to her he shouldn't do. No, a man would never do that to a woman, would he? Oh, yeah. They're in the church all over the place. They're in the church everywhere. They're there. And something that really got me. I said yesterday, Cheryl and I did, and, well, this last week, I'll have to say, we've talked to so many people in the last week, but this last week we sat with a couple... And she told me when she went out, when she was a younger woman, obviously she was a very beautiful woman when she was young. Because she's much older now, she's still very beautiful. But she says, when I was younger and I used to date different men, she said, as I went with these men, I'm sure the men she went with was not the average run-of-the-mill you know, kid. They were business class men. I mean, men that were... You know, because, you know, she was a businesswoman. She was a beautiful woman. And a woman like that don't go out with the normal little kid on the block. You know, she finds somebody that's a man of integrity. And she thinks, and she's a Christian woman, so she's looking for Christian men in the church. Good-looking Christian men. And she said, what so astounded me with the men that I went with. The ones that was in the church were the worst ones to look at other women while they was on a date with me. And you know what that done to her? It built into her a sense of insecurity. It built into her, here I am, a beautiful woman, and I go with this guy, instead of him only having eyes for me, he's looking at someone else. It built into a sense of rejection a spirit of rejection and a spirit of insecurity in this woman's life. Well, let me tell you guys, every man and every woman wants to feel secure. Well, let me tell you, there's only one place you can go that you can feel secure all the time. And that's if you only look to Jesus for everything. Everybody else will let you down. Everybody else will let you down. I will have to say that there is a few principles in life that I've learned, and one of them is... That with my wife, I make sure I never look at another woman except right in the face. I have no interest for no other woman. And my woman feels secure with me because she knows it makes her where I am or how many hours I'm out or what I'm doing. She knows I'm about the Lord's work and she can trust me. You know, But every man's not like that. Every Christian's man like not like that. And I talk to women in the church and minister to them that are single women that have been out and run with some guy she met in church. And she said, he's like a 
octopus when I'm on a date. He's got his hands all over me. You know, we shouldn't be like that, should we? We shouldn't be like that. But anyway, look at what he says here. I say this because some godless people have wormed their way in among you. And look what they're teaching. They're saying that God's forgiveness allows you to live immoral lives. Okay, because the Lord came in and He sent His Son and He died for you on the cross. And He paid the price for all of your sins. Now you can come down you can accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. You can get saved once saved, always saved. You've heard that old cliche from lots of different organizations. Now then, you can go out and live like the devil. You can go out, smoke, drink, cuss, and live out of wedlock and do all the things you want to do. And you can be mad at your wife. You know, you can hold unforgiveness. You can do everything you want to do. And one day when you die, and you go to church once in a while. Don't have to tie. Don't have to do nothing. I mean, you're living in the grace of God, and one day when you die, you get to go to heaven, and everything's going to be great forever thereafter. Let me tell you, that's not true. Guarantee there is a whole lot more required to get into heaven than just accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've got to purify yourself and keep yourself clean and pure from the things of the world. Now, look what he says here. These people that teach you that the forgiveness of God allows you to live an immoral life. He said, the fate of such people are determined, was determined long ago. The fate of those men that teach that was determined long ago. For they have turned against the only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, if they've turned against the Lord by teaching a lie, and they're teaching that it's okay, you can go out and sin. God understands. You go out and live what you like you want to all week. You can go out and, in fact, there is organizations that's called the church that are known for their people going out and getting drunk during the week and then come to confession on Saturday night or Sunday morning, and they've lived out, slept out, you know, done everything in the world all week long, and then they can come and confess every Sunday morning or every Saturday night, and you're okay. Do you know that? But do you know that's not true? That's not true. I must remind you, I must remind you, and you know it well, that even though the Lord, even though the Lord... You think about what He has done here. Even though the Lord rescued the whole nation of Israel from Egypt, He pulled the whole nation out of there. He said He later destroyed every one of them. Isn't that awesome? Because He brings them out and then He destroyed them because of sin. He later destroyed every one of those who did not remain faithful. And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within their limits of authority. What? Angels have a limit of authority 
any angel would leave that limit of authority. Those guys have a free will just like you and I. When God made the angels, He gave them a free will. He says, the angels that left, the King James says their first estate. But this one says, their position of authority. He has locked them up and chained them in prisons of darkness waiting for the day of judgment. Isn't it amazing that a created being would go against the Creator? They're not any smarter than we are, are they? That's sad, isn't it? That we think we can get away with things and we can do anything we want to. And I'm going to tell you, it breaks my heart to think that so few of us as Christians are out there talking to people about Jesus because we don't know nothing about the Word. So the average Christian, and I'm not going to ask you to hold up your hand, but the average Christian is just like I was the first 25 years I was a Christian. I never led one single person to Jesus for 25 years of my Christian life. Is that sad or is that sad? I'm a Christian for 25 years and produce no fruit for the kingdom of God. Now, what if I'd have went to work for some company and you'd have been my boss, and I didn't make you some money the first week or at least the second or third or fourth week, and I was going along here about six months or a year, and every week I'm costing you 500 a week instead of making you 500 a week, how long are you going to keep me? Ernest is up here shaking his head. Not long. I'm getting rid of you. But that's the way all of us are, right, Ernest? If you own your own company, you hire somebody, you, you didn't hire them to cost you money. You hired them to make you money. You hired them to produce fruit for you, right? Sure, if they can't produce fruit, you don't need them. I just do not have them if they can't produce fruit. Is that right? Yeah, that's what you hire people for, to do a job for you to produce fruit. Well, that's what God's got us on this earth for. That's what we're here for, to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. We seem to lose sight of that. I mean, we're here to run our companies. We're here to raise our children. We're here to go to church on Sunday when we feel like it. But we're not really here to produce fruit for the kingdom. Well, I'm going to tell you, that's why so many people in the church are sick and afflicted today. Because they're disobedient, just like this group of people was disobedient. And we don't see... This loving God doing the things He says He will do. And so we wonder why. But these people right here, it says, So He later destroyed. Who later destroyed them? God did. He later destroyed them. God destroyed every one of those who did not remain faithful. Every one. And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within their limits of authority. In other words, he locked these guys up, and they're waiting for the day of judgment. And then he says, he says, because these men were filled with sexual immorality over there in Sodom and Gomorrah, and every kind of sexual perversion. Has things changed much? I mean, I couldn't, I mean, flipping between channels, looking for CNN this week, I would not even speak what I saw in the seconds between channels on the TV as far as sexual perversion was concerned. It's awful. I can only imagine the people who sit around and feed that stuff into their heart for hours at a time every day. I mean, it's, it's wicked. It's absolutely... It talks about when he's talking about Sodom and Gomorrah and all this. He said, these cities were destroyed 
by fire and are a warning, or a warning of the eternal fire that will punish all who are evil. All that are evil. Well, you think if you're a Christian, you don't fit in that category. But did you know that's not true? You know, you can make Jesus supposedly Lord of your life, and then you can go to church for five years. And then you stop producing fruit for the kingdom of God. And although you are still supposedly a child of God, did you know it can cut your life very short? Do you know you can be a, a, a young man or a young woman and you do not honor your mother and father? And you know God made a statement in His Word that children, if you don't honor your mother and father, your life will be short on the earth. But people don't believe that today. But that's just like this gentleman out there is in charge of that, uh, that director of that camp in Wisconsin. That was that letter I got from him shortly, short while back. That he, when he was 15 years old, this guy got into a state of lying with his daddy and manipulating his daddy so he could go to a rock concert. Of course, he's lost and his daddy's lost. But God said these laws work for the lost and the saved. It makes no difference. These spiritual laws work for every human being on the earth. It doesn't, ex- doesn't exclude anybody. And shortly after he lied and, and manipulated his dad, he started coming down with seizures. He never associated the seizure with the sin of manipulating his dad. He had him 27 years. 27 years. Now he's a Christian. He comes to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. He becomes the director of a youth camp, and he's serving God. And he said, there's nothing more intimidating than whenever I'm trying to uh, teach a group of young people or something, and a seizure comes upon me. He said, now I've been to the finest doctors, the finest counselors. They give me the most powerful medicine that's available, and I still have seizures every week. Every week. Can't get over it. And he said, I heard one of your teachings where you said, if you're having epileptic seizures, you're living in some kind of sin. He said, nobody had ever told me that. Never. He said, I went to God and asked the Lord, what did I do? If what this guy's teaching is the truth, what did I do? And he said, immediately the Lord took me back to my, when I was 15 years old and said, right there's your sin when you manipulated and lied to your dad. He said, I repented. And asked God to forgive me. And he said, God spoke to him and told me, he said, since you've repented of that sin, I'm going to deliver you. You don't need any medication. He said, Thurman, I got off my medication six or eight months ago, whatever it was now. And he said, from that time to today, I have never had another seizure. Isn't that amazing? He tried everything but what the Word of God says. But see, we don't believe God. So, but the Lord is telling us here, He does not like this sexual immorality and this perversion. And he does not like it whenever a young man or a young woman does not honor their parents. Now then, if you don't know that and you never repent of that sin, you can live with that demon that went with that all of your life. This man had lived with this tormenting demon for 27 years. Although he's been a Christian the last 13 years. He had no idea that he'd been redeemed from the curse. Had no idea he had to repent of that sin with his dad. And when he got through with it and did what he said, then the man was set free. He was healed. He said, after he's talking about the eternal fire, he said, all these false teachers, they acclaim authority from their dreams 
They live immoral lives, they defy authority, and they scoff at the power of the glorious one. And so their punishment is sealed just like it was for Korah, Sodom and Gomorrah, and Balaam. Well, the other week, two weeks ago, we talked about Korah and the punishment that came upon Korah and his group. Think about what God did there. When Balaam and, and two of the church leaders, whenever Moses said, let's all get together today or tomorrow and let's let God decide who he's put in charge to lead this group of people. Well, two of the leaders, they ain't even coming. They're not even going to show up. They said, no, we're not coming. But Korah and his group, they came. And when they all showed up out there and all the people got there, now the ones that wouldn't come, it didn't make any difference. God knew where they were. And so the Lord, it says the glory cloud, when everybody showed up, the glory cloud formed over the tabernacle. So when the glory cloud formed, God spoke to Moses and he said, Moses, get out of the way. I'm going to instantly kill them all. God wouldn't put something like that on us. Well, the Word says he will. The Word says he did. Isn't that amazing? And so Moses got out of the way. And he told everybody, if you don't want to be killed with Quran and his bunch, then you need to get over here on this side. Well, a bunch of them got over there. But the Quran and his bunch didn't. Now then, Quran's sin cost his life and his wife and his children and everybody that was associated with him. Even the babies and the children died in that, in that devastating event that happened in the next few minutes. As they fell alive into the flames of hell. Now then, in this one, today, I want you to look at what happened to Balaam. Balaam was a prophet of God. This one's in Numbers 22. The other whole story about Korah and his bunch, if you haven't read, it's in Numbers 16. But this one, we've got to Numbers 22. And we're going through here. And in Numbers chapter 22, Balak which was the king, sent for Balaam, the prophet. At least this king was smart enough to seek a man of God out. He knew that when this man spoke blessings or curses, they came to pass, because he knew he served the living God. Then he says in verse 1, said, Then the people of Israel traveled to the plains of Moab and camped east of the Jordan, a Jordan River, across from Jericho. Balak, the son of Zippor, the Midianite king, he knew what the Israelites had done to the Amorites. Now then, here he's the king of a country, and all of a sudden he's got this country, and he looks up and here's this little tiny band of Israelite people walking across his country. You know, we... You saw the Ten Commandments, right? I mean, we've looked at that little band of people. I don't know how many is there. I couldn't count them, but maybe 5,000 people in that movie. Reckon? You guess? I'm guessing 5,000. I don't know. 
But does anybody have any idea how many people were really there? There was over 600,000 males and their wives, which totals about 600,000. And then they had children. So now we got 1.2 million grown men and women that Moses is leading. And if all them just had two children, for just two children, we got a herd of people out here. You know, we got a couple of million, maybe three million. Who knows? There may have been four or five million. We don't know. In other words, let's just make it simple. The entire Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex is what Moses had to deal with. Now, that'll make it a little more interesting for you. I mean, after all, Moses didn't have radios. He didn't have helicopters to fly over. He didn't have a PA system. He spoke just right out, and he's going to try to direct somewhere between two or three million people. And think about this. It says they brought their animals with them. Their chickens, their ducks, their cows, their lambs, their goats. They brought them all. So how many of those do you think there might have been too? If we got three million people and 600,000 families and they all just got five animals each. We've got a huge crowd out here. You never really look at it in that perspective, right? I mean, I never did. I thought about the magnitude of what Moses is doing out here now. He has a real job on his hands. But this mass of people now is moving across the country going to the promised land. Well, can you imagine if you were a king now and you looked up and, well, did we, have we seen anything else even close to this? I mean, even that come close to this uh, that happened in our country? Do you know that just a few months ago, when we had one of the major hurricanes in the United States, there was people that left walking down the highways and they were met at borders of communities with guns and told them they couldn't cross. Anybody hear that story? You heard about that too, huh? Isn't that amazing? That happened right here in the United States of America. In a place where you think, now then, you think, you go out there and get in your car and you drive somewhere and you're in your car. They think you've got money and you might be able to stop in their town and buy gas or eat or something. They welcome you through their community. But when you come out of a storm and you don't even have a car and you're walking and they don't know who you are, they don't want you in their community. And that happened right here in the United States of America. Drove away people and didn't make notice what color they were or nothing, Ernest. It didn't matter whether it was red, white, yellow, or black. They just didn't want them because they come from New Orleans. It used to be if you're black, they didn't want you. Now then, it don't matter who you are, red, yellow, black, or white, they didn't want them. At gunpoint, they made them go back. No food, no nothing. happened right here in America. We're a lovely country, aren't we? No, that's right. We're not, son. Praise God, we're not. But Balak, when he saw this mass of people coming, he thought, i got to do something. These people will eat every leaf. I mean, they're cattle. I mean, millions of cows. My country, it'll be eat off to the ground. There won't be a thing left. He said, i got to get rid of these people. So he's trying to do something to get rid of them. He don't want them there. And you might understand, you know, be a little compassionate with him, you know, because uh, they didn't have 7-Elevens on every corner. You know, they didn't have grocery stores and gas stations. Oh, by the way, did anybody notice that I saw gas today for under $2? 
I saw gas for one ninety nine. Woo! Yeah, we, we were coming down Harry Hines a while ago at Northwest Highway, and there was a FINA, I believe it was, and it was it said, gas, one ninety nine. I thought, woo, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe that praying against them demons of greed is doing something. Yeah. So we've been praying against them, beast. Them demons of greed, you know, I mean, wow, it's amazing, you know. But anyway, I, I did see it for under $2. Praise the Lord. Then it says, they sent messengers to Balaam, the prophet, the son of Beor, who was living in the native land of Pithor or whatever, near the Euphrates River. He sent this message to request that Balaam come to help him. It said, a vast herd of people has arrived from Egypt. Now, when you read that in the Bible, unless you get a picture of what he's doing, you don't dream about a vast herd. What do you think it would be like today if we were... Well, let's put it this way. How would you like for God to call us, this little group right here in this church, and say, you all have the responsibility with no radios, no television, no nothing, no uh, electrical amplification. And your job today is going to be to get the entire Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex together and march them to Oklahoma City down the freeway. Esther, what would you think about that? You don't want that job, do you, girl? I mean, you got enough trouble just trying to get the ones in your house down the highway, right? <laughs> Some of us say, good grief, I have trouble getting my husband down the highway or my wife. Give me a break. How would I bring millions down the highway? But you've got, you got to be compassionate when you see the massive job that Moses was given. And you look at all these people that's crossing this country on foot. They wasn't in cars, but they had their carts. And, everything. and think about this. In the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex today, how many people do you think is in critical condition in these hospitals? I wonder how many people are sick today in the Metroplex. Thousands of them, wouldn't you say? I mean, there's, I don't have any idea how many hospitals are, but everywhere I look. And there's six, eight, ten, twenty, thirty stories. And I don't care where, which floor you're going, it's full of sick people. But this says that when God brought these people out of Israel, there was not one single sick among them and not one feeble. That's a miracle in itself, isn't it, friend? Guarantee that's a miracle. So this king, Balak, he is concerned about this massive group of people. So he, take, he sends some of his dignitaries now, and he sends them with money, a lot of money, to seek out this prophet, Balaam. And he gets over there. Please come, in verse 6, please come and curse them for me because they are so numerous. He knows they're going to clean out. He knows their cattle are going to eat everything he's got. He says, curse them. You know, I've got to get rid of these people. I don't like them. You know, they're going to eat every leaf on my land. If they come across my kingdom, there ain't going to be nothing left for us. Nothing. So come over here and curse them. Then perhaps I will be able to conquer them and drive them from the land. I mean, he wants to get rid of them. I know that blessings fall on the people you bless. And I know that the people you curse are doomed. This man speaks blessings and curses. And it happens. 
Somebody says, I don't believe anybody can speak a curse over someone. Well, let me tell you what. I went somewhere here a while back, and I had a man pray. I allowed a man to pray over me, but I won't ever make this mistake again. I allowed a man to pray over me, lay his hands on me, and it happened on about Wednesday. And I got home, and by Sunday night, I had the worst attack of a blood clot in my left leg I have ever had in my life. Sunday night, whenever my leg got to burning with fire after church, I took my boot off and pulled my sock down, and I looked, and from my knee to my ankle was blood red. It had great big red marks on me. It looked like if I touched it, blood would run out of my leg. It looked awful. I thought, well, this is an attack to the devil. I said, you beast, in the name of Jesus, get your hands off me. I said, it's done. Put my shoe back on. Went back to work. Worked till 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. That night we went to bed. Next morning, about 7 o'clock, Cheryl got up to go to the bathroom or something. I said, honey, would you look down at my left leg? She said, what's wrong with it? I said, well, last night I had a little attack from the enemy. I want you to check it. She turned the light on, looked at my leg, and she... Ah! My land grabbed my leg, began to rebuke the devil, command him to come out of me in the name of Jesus. She knew that was the devil. How had I opened that door? Well, after it got a little later that morning, I called Ty. I told him, I said, Ty, I've got a tremendous attack from the enemy in my left leg. It looks awful. He said, I'll be right there. I said, no, 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 Ty, you live two hours away. You don't have to come over and just pray for me. He said, there ain't no way I'm going to be there as quick as I can get there. And I called Eldon, and Eldon said the same thing. And then within a couple hours, both of them was over there. And that guy took me in my office. He said, sit down, take your boot off. I want to see your leg. So I sat down, took my boot off, and he looked at him. He said, Dermot, if you wasn't a man of faith, I'd have you in the hospital with surgery. What you got could kill you. He said, you got a blood clot or a bunch of them in your left leg. And he said, the Lord showed me that you done something that you shouldn't have done and by doing it, you opened the door to the devil. And he said, God showed him that. In fact, on the way out there, he's praying, asking the Lord why. The Lord says, tell him when he gets there, if he would go, were to go to a certain kind of man, uh, I, think he, I think he said a Buddhist. I think that's what he said. He said, I stopped by a Buddhist temple on the way over here, and I got something that when I put it on your leg, it's going to cure you. I said, you ain't putting it on me. He said, but that's what you've done. You let a man pray over you that was not filled with the Spirit of the living God. And when he prayed over you and laid his hands on you, opened the door and a demon entered you. He said, God showed me that. I don't care how holy you're walking, and I'm trying my best to walk totally, completely in obedience to God's Word in everything I know how to do it. I'm not living in no kind of known sin. I'm not holding any grudges against nobody. I'm not walking out of love with nobody. I'm loving my wife. I'm loving my brother. I'm loving myself. I'm trying. I'm in the Word all the time. I'm trying my best to be as obedient to the Word of God as I know how in everything. But I made a mistake. I let a man curse me because he touched me and he prayed over me. Well, I guarantee you. And that's something else I want to say right now in this church. If you're not invited to pray with this team that I've got, Ty and Cheryl and my wife and I, if you're not invited to come up here and pray with me, I don't want you up here laying hands on people until I invite you. 
Because demons transfer from the people we're praying over to others. And I don't want you to wind up with something that you don't want. I've seen demons manifest so many times that when I lay hands on somebody, they can't come to me because I am walking in obedience. But they will. In fact, Cheryl had one transferred to her the other day over the telephone. She prayed for a woman, and the demon transferred through the telephone and made her sick in just a matter of minutes. Yeah, seconds, she said. We had to pray the devil off of her. So when I say, don't come up unless we invite you, and if we're praying for people, don't walk over and start laying hands on people unless you know who you are. I mean, here a while back, there was a demon manifest standing right here in a woman. And if it's even 30 or 40 people still here, and a, a woman manifest in demons, and there was three of us men trying to hold this woman down, and there was some of the other ladies come and start laying their hands on her. I said, get away from her. Don't put your hands on her. Some of those people are no more walking in faith than I can fly without an airplane. You know, they don't know what they're doing. You have no knowledge of the Word, and you want to get up and get in a part of this, and you ain't going to like what you're going to get. Because that demon's going to transfer from that person right into you. I think about one time on one of the videos I saw about A.A. Allen, and there was a woman came up right here, and he had a huge group of people that day, two or three, four thousand and he was rebuking a demon in her ear. She couldn't hear a thing. And immediately when he rebuked the demon, she said, oh, I can hear. And right back here, about two or three rows back, another woman says, I can't hear. That demon went right out of that woman, right into that one. Let me tell you, the sin doors are open in nearly everybody's life. And the devil don't have no problem when he starts through a group to find somebody who's got a sin door open. So he went into that woman. He said, woman, come up here. She came up, and he rebuked the devil, and he left her. And before the next few seconds, a woman sitting on the back row said, all of a sudden she started screaming, I can't hear. He had her come up, and this time he rebuked that devil, commanding him to leave the building and not to enter nobody else. That same demon was in three women before that next ten minutes was over. The transference of demons. This is real. You know, this is really real. I know. I've had it. I've seen it. I've been with people. I've been with great men of God that were not walking in 100% faith. And whenever a demon manifests and I cast it out, I've seen it go right into that person. Man or woman. And then the next day, the man or woman that was with me wind up with the same thing that the man or the woman had that I cast a demon out of. And by this time, they, they don't associate it. They don't realize. I was at church yesterday and I laid hands on somebody and a demon... Of whatever, carpal tunnel or, or whatever the devil is that's in them. But he leaves and maybe the next day, maybe a week later, all of a sudden you start coming down with problems in your hand. Cast out a demon of arthritis. You're going to say, oh, I want some of that. I want to get a part of that. I want to lay my hands on him with you. And that demon says, okay, no problem. I'll go out of him. I'll go right into you. A week later, all of a sudden your hand's all beginning to gnarl up and hurting you and everything. Be careful is all I'm trying to tell you. I don't want you to come up with something. And what I'm telling you now is for your good. Not because I don't love you and because I don't want you up here. I don't want the devil to be able to enter you. And if you're walking in any kind of sin, if you ain't got ever sin door open, them devils will come right into you. In fact, today that woman manifests right there. I remember what Keith and Shelley said that day. I mean, Shelley even drove off and left her purse that day. 
Keith said, Thurman, I've heard you talk about these kind of things, but that's the first time I ever saw it. And it was quite interesting, wasn't it, Keith? It was. You know, I mean, if you've never seen a demon manifest, but once you've seen one manifest, you know, after that, you know, you don't want one of them. You don't want one. Because they do live inside of Christian people. And they will transfer right into you, and they are the, they are the items that make you sick and afflict you. Now, most people don't think in the church they think you can have a demon. But that's our problem, is the devil. And he can only go where he has legal right to go. Now, but I don't know hardly anybody in the church that does not have some kind of a sin door open. Hardly nobody. You can open it just like that. I know, I've been there and done that too. You know, it's so easy. But here, this guy... Balaam had been asked by the king, Balak, to curse these people so something devastating would come upon them. Now, you can speak a curse upon someone. See, the apostle James told us, blessings and curses come out of the same mouth. He said, my brother, this should not be so. And I thought to myself, I don't understand this. I mean, I read that a lot of times and I didn't understand it. But when I began to understand Proverbs 18, 21. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. How could, you, how could you walk up to someone, lay your hands on someone, a little child or a grown person or whatever, and speak and say, May the Lord bless you with knowledge, wisdom, revelation, and understanding from His Word, and may He bless you with long life and good health. How could you expect that to ever come to pass? Because you spoke those words over a human being in the name of Jesus, and that allows the Holy Spirit to privilege to move in their life in that realm. So what if you walk up and say, Oh, you dummy, you can't do nothing right anyway. You just spoke a curse. And how many people have I seen? I've been in a grocery store many times. And people don't have a clue today how to discipline their children, even in the church. Some Christian woman driving down the aisle, got one or two babies. One of them's looking, and little children, if they're big enough to walk, they want to get a hold of everything in the aisle. I've heard mamas reach up, slap their hands, say, you little dummy, stop that. And they're Christians. I know. I've seen them. I've known some of them. And they call their children dummies. Now, when you do that, you speak a curse over that child. How many of you have known, let's say your daddy always told you, you ain't good enough. You're not pretty enough. You can't do nothing right. I wish you was like your sister. Or I wish you was like your brother. Why can't you be like your brother? You can't do nothing right. If you had that beat into you all your life, you probably turned out to be nothing. You turned out to be nothing because you never heard the blessings. All you ever had was curses spoke over you. Now, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example of a young man today that when he was born, his daddy was a gopher. And he wanted his little son to be a gopher. When he got big enough to stand up, he put a little golf club in his hand and said, Son, you're going to be the best golfer the world ever seen. Hit that ball. Boy, he just hit it. He said, That a boy, you're the best golfer the world ever seen. Knock it right over there, son. And of course, he gets a little bigger and they get big enough to get out on the golf course. And he'd hit it and, and he wouldn't do very good. He said, Son, we're going to try it again. You're going to be the best golfer the world ever seen. Now, that boy, by the time he got grown, that's all he had ever heard. You know who I'm talking about, don't you, Ernest? Anybody else know who I'm talking about? A lot of you do, don't you? 
That young man has turned out to be, and I guess he talked about, what, 20 even today? 22 or 3? Oh, is that that old now? Okay, I don't, I mean, you can tell how much I keep up with sports, can't you? But that young man has turned out to be one of the world's best golfers. And his daddy, all he ever heard his daddy say is, Hit that ball, son, you're going to be the best golfer the world ever seen. I mean, when that's beat into you from the day you're this big, what do you think he's going to turn out like? See? That's what happens when you speak a curse over, I mean, a blessing over your children. Now, that blessing that daddy spoke over that boy has made that boy <laughs> millions, I guess, huh, Ernest? He's definitely a wealthy boy, isn't he? But he was a wealthy boy the time he was 20. I mean, a wealthy young man. But see, all daddy had done spoke a blessing. Now, here this king knows these principles, and he called Balaam to speak a curse over these people because he knows when this man speaks a blessing, the people get blessed. And he knows when he speaks a curse, the people are cursed. And he wants them to be cursed. He wants them to die so he can go in with his war army, and he wants to drive these guys out, and he wants to kill them. He wants to get them off of his land. And it says, these Balak's messengers, in verse 7, the officials of both Moab and Midian, they sat out and took money with them to pay Balaam to curse Israel. Money. They probably brought a lot. They went to Balaam and urgently explained to him what Balak wanted. Then look at what happened in verse 8. Stay here tonight. Now, this is the right thing to do. Stay here tonight, Balaam said. In the morning, I will tell you whatever the Lord directs me to say. Now, that's the right thing to do. This man's going to seek God. And he says, so the official from Moab stayed there with Balaam. That night, God came to Balaam and asked him, Who are these men with you? Don't you think God knew that answer? I mean, you have to kind of read between the lines. Sometimes you think God's dumb. You know, He don't know what's going on. But no, He knows what's going on. Who are these men that's with you? And He says, so Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moed, has sent me this message. A vast horde of people has come from Egypt and is spread out over the whole land. Come at once to curse them. Perhaps then I will be able to conquer them and drive them from the land. Now, this is God's answer. Verse 12. Do not go with them. Was he clear? Anybody could get that, couldn't they? Do not go with them, God says. God told Balaam, you are not to curse these people, for I have blessed them. Amen. Now, if God blesses you, you cannot be cursed. And if God blesses you, I can't think of nobody I'd rather have blessed me than God. Can you, Fred? Amen. Amen. When He blesses you, man, He can bless your socks off. Ooh, can He bless your socks off. He can do things beyond your wildest dreams. I mean, it's wonderful. It says, the next morning, Balaam got up and told Balak's officials, go on home, the Lord will not let me go with you. Okay, everything looks like it's okay now. 
But the devil, how many of you know the devil don't never give up that easy? So they go back and they tell the king these things. They went back and told King Balak, reported to him and all those things. And in verse uh, 15, Balak tried again. This time he sent a larger number of even more distinguished officials than those he had sent the first time. I mean, he gets the governor. I mean, you know, he gets, he gets some real, he don't just go out and get some country boys. He gets some dignitaries. Big time, big boys, that's right. Big boys. And he sends lots of money down there. Lots of money. He sends all this money. They went to Balaam and gave him this message. And after they told him what he wanted, and verse 17 says, I will pay you well and do anything you ask of me. Anything. Just come and curse these people. But Balaam answered them, Even if Balak were to give me a palace filled with silver and gold, this boy's on the right track. It thinks. I would be powerless to do anything against the will of the Lord my God. Okay, so far, everything looks okay. I mean, I think this is a good story so far. But, uh uh-oh, but stay here one more night to see if the Lord has anything else to say to me. Do you think God told him everything he wanted to tell him last night or last time? What did God tell him to do? Go curse the people? What did he say? What did he say? Do not go curse these people. Did he stutter when he said that? Why do you need to go back to God again? Why do you need to keep petitioning Him? Well, let me tell you, God ain't like Daddy. You know, I mean, I mean, children and grandchildren, they'll keep coming back to Daddy or Granddaddy, but Daddy, you know, nope, you can't go, that's it, it's done. Daddy, please, you know. And they keep begging and begging and begging and begging. I mean, we know we've had them like that, haven't we, Ernest? Me and you both have. We'll stay here one more night and we'll see if the Lord has anything else to say. That night, God came to Balaam and told him, Since these men have come for you... Now, listen to this. This is where I really don't understand this. Really pay attention. That night, God came to Balaam and told him, since these men have come for you, get up and go with them. Now, what did God tell him to do? What had he said before? But be sure to do only what I tell you to do. But he just told him to go. Now, wait a minute. This is what really throws a curve to me. So, the next morning... You would think Balaam's going to be a good man of God. So the next morning, Balaam saddled his donkey and started off with the Moabite officials. Now, had God told him to go? The first time he was there, what did God tell him not to do? Now, the first time he was there, he told him not to go, didn't he? But now, this time, God told him to go. But look at what happened. Verse 22. This is what I don't understand. God was furious that Balaam was going. I don't understand that. Do you, Ernest? (laughs) You do? Okay, now listen. Listen close. Listen close. Now, what did God tell him the first time? Not to go. When God tells you to do something the first time, what do you think He means? 
Does God ever change His mind? No. But see, when they came and petitioned it, now look what happened. He told him to go the second time, and it says God was furious with Balaam because he was going. So look what he did. So God sent an angel of the Lord to stand in the rock or in the road to block his way. God told you to go do something, he's going to block you from going. As Balaam and his two servants were riding along, Balaam's donkey suddenly saw the angel of the Lord. Now, here's something. An angel, this, this donkey could see into the spirit world. This donkey, God opened this donkey's eyes so this donkey could see the spirit world. And this donkey, he suddenly saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword... I mean, I mean, this donkey, he knows his master is on him now. And he's looking, here's this great big angel with this great big giant sword pulled out. And he says, the donkey bolted off the road into a field, but Balaam beat it and turned it back on the road. Can't you just see this scene? You're riding along here. And this little donkey has been riding all these years. You know, he's gentle as he can be. He never done anything. All of a sudden, the little guy looks up. And there's this great big angel with a big sword in his hand. And when you come by, you're going to cut your head off. The donkey looks up and sees him. Wow! Jumps off the side. I can see Balaam now falling off. I can see him getting mad at that donkey. I can see him getting up and getting him a club. You stupid beast! Can't you just see this? What do you mean throwing me off on the ground? I mean, this is what the Scripture is telling us right here. This is what's happening. And it said, the donkey bolted off the road. It says, then the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. It's got a little room here, but here's this big angel standing there. And the Lord sent this angel to kill him. Because he was disobeying. But it looks like he was obeying. But the first time, he told him to do something. And the second time, he told him to do something else. Because he came and petitioned him the second time. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing there, it said it tried to squeeze by and he crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So Balaam beat the donkey again. Did you see this poor little guy getting beat up? Or little girl or whatever it is. The little donkey. He's beating the thunder out of this poor little critter. The poor little beast said, Then the angel of the Lord moved further down the road and stood in a place so narrow that the donkey could not get by at all. This time, Balaam's fixing to die. Think about this. What if God has told you not to do something in His Word and you go to do it anyway? You might reckon he might send an angel to kill you or to make your trip miserable? Sure. And you can't see into the spirit world and the donkey you're riding don't have spiritual eyes. Because the donkey you're riding is a car. And it don't, can't see into that world. Is that right? See, we don't understand why things happen to us. 
But when we're in disobedience, God moves in the spirit world to make things happen to change our life. And sometimes it costs us our life. Sometimes it costs us our life because of our disobedience. This time when the donkey saw it, it lay down under Balaam in a fit of rage. Balaam beat it again with his staff. A little donkey just lay down because he didn't want to see his master die. It says, then the Lord, it says, this time when the donkey saw the angel lay down, and it said, in a fit of rage, Balaam beat it again with his staff. And then verse 28 says, then the Lord caused the donkey to speak. First of all, that would have been a little startling to me if my donkey started talking to me. I guess if you were as mad as Balaam was, it didn't make any difference. He, he probably didn't realize he's talking to a donkey. Obviously, he didn't for a little while. And can you reckon you could be so mad that if you're beating your animal, he starts talking to you, just out of a fit of rage, you talk back not realizing you're even talking to a beast that can't talk? I believe this is what happened to this guy. I, I believe that's what happened to him. It says, after the Lord calls the donkey, Why? What have I done to you that deserves you beating me these three times? It asked Balaam. Because you have made me look like a fool. Balaam shouted. If I had a sword with me, I would kill you. He was mad, wasn't he? Man, he was hot. But I am the same donkey that you always ride on. Have I ever done anything like this before? Have I ever been disobedient to you before? Have I ever, have I ever jumped off the road before? Have I ever drug your foot on the wall? Have I ever laid down under you before? You ever stop to think there might be a reason for this? So you get in your car and you're in a great big hurry and you're going down to get somewhere and you've got to be there in an hour and you get around the corner and the right tire goes flat. You jump out and say, man, I'm glad I got the spare laying in the back and everything else. And you jack that thing up and you get that tire changed in about five minutes and you go ripping down the road a little further. You turn the corner and the left front one goes flat. And then you jump out and you're fussing. And if you're not a really good Christian, you're cussing and everything else. I can't believe this happened to me. God, where are you? I've got to be at a certain place at a certain time. And God says, I sent my angel to blow out that verse. And I didn't think you could change it that fast. <laughs> but since you got to change that fast, I had to send him to, with a sword to blow out the left one. So now you don't have a spare. Because right around the next corner, you were going to be killed. And I'm not ready for you to die yet. Instead of thanking God for all things, like He said, how many of you, first time you're driving down the road, especially if you're in a hurry, and especially if it's raining or anything else, and all of a sudden you hear this bump, 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 and you pull, and you get out looking, and you got a flat, how many of you say, praise the Lord? I mean, but that's what God told us to do. He gives thanks in all things. Oh, Lord, I want to praise you and thank you that I had this wonderful flat today. I mean, but did God say, give thanks in all things? Did He say, if you're my child, I'm watch over you and protect you, and everything that I do for you will be for your benefit? Sure He did. So why don't we get out and fuss and complain about something whenever something happens that we don't agree with? Why don't we say, oh, praise God. Thank you, Lord, this happened. I'm so grateful. 
Because see, if you praise Him, you know how quick your test is going to be over? In other words, it's that little, say, that, say you were going to get killed five minutes down the road, and you stopped and the five minutes goes by, and you say, Lord, it sure is raining, and I sure want to thank you and praise you for this flat. But Lord, I do praise and appreciate that great rain. And all of a sudden, some guy pulls up and said, ma'am or sir, I'm, I can change tires in a hurry. Would you mind if I changed your tire? And I don't mind getting wet. This guy's something wrong with this guy. It's like the lady that was in my Sunday school class in Justin. She's a little lady. She was driving her car down the road, and all of a sudden, a great big old tire fell off of a truck, slid right over in front of her, and she tried to stop. And she, by the time she stopped, her front end of her little car went up on that big old truck wheel, and she has a front wheel drive, so the car wheels are just sitting there spinning. She can't go forward, backwards, nothing. She said, "Lord, I gotta have some help." And all of a sudden, a man stopped. It had been raining, but it's not right now. But it's muddy, everything. The road's wet and everything. And the guy pulls up behind her in a white truck with a, a, a white, like a cargo van, with a white suit on. And he gets out, walks up, and says, Can I help you, ma'am? She said, Oh, sir, I, I just run up on a tire here, and I can't, my car won't go. He said, No problem. He walks around in front of the car with a white suit on, picks the car up, slides the tire out from under it, picks his big old tire up, and throws it off the side road and does not get one drop of mud or water on him. And he's wearing a white suit. She said, he walked back and said, now you're okay, ma'am, you can go. She said, let me pay you. He said, no. And he goes back and gets in his truck and pulls around her. She said, I'm going to follow that man. I'm going to find out who that guy is. I know he must have a young family or something. He's such a nice young man. And I'm going to pay him some money. I'm going to give him at least $20 for what he did. So she said, I followed him. He went down, exited off. I followed him. Said he went up the street and said, I couldn't never get around him because of the traffic. And said, then he pulls in behind a big schoolhouse. Right around behind it. She said, I got him now. Said he'll get around there. He's probably a delivery truck. So she said, I went, he pulled in, went around the building, and she said, I went, and I went around the building. When I went around the building, there's a closed parking lot with no outlets and no white truck. What do you think that was? That was another one of them angels of the Lord. Now, can an angel of the Lord be sent to do you good today? Sure they can. Now, then, back in those days, that angel can walk or he could have rode a donkey himself. But today, they can drive cars. You know, or they don't need a car. But, you know, they can do anything. So, that angel of the Lord, if that angel is sent to minister to you like it was to that lady, that's good. See, she's walking in obedience to God's Word. She's being a good lady. She's loving God. She's walking in obedience to the Word. So, when she had the problem, now who knows, the Lord might have, I'm sure something happened that allowed that tire to fall off and to stop her for the few minutes because God didn't want her somewhere down the road in, in that few minutes. But most of us, when those kind of things happen, we fail to say, Oh, thank you, Lord, that tire fell off that truck and stopped me right here in the middle of the road. I'm so grateful. It's a whole lot easier to grumble and complain, isn't it, Tom? Sure, and that's where we always go. My day didn't go just like I wanted it today, so I'm going to grumble and complain about it. Let me tell you, when, they get, when you get through reading those ten things, when we get through teaching those things, 
And I read about last night. When them people grumbled and complained, I didn't like the results they got, Ty. You didn't either. Woo! I didn't like it. I mean, when they were put to the test, when they grumbled and complained, several times God says, Moses, just get out of the way and I'm going to kill them. They said, here you brought us out here in the wilderness, and here all we've got this crazy, stupid manna to eat. Well, see, the manna was only supposed to be for a few days. Then we're going to be in the promised land. But now then, because of their grumbling and complaining, they're out there walking around eating manna every day. But you know what they ought to have been thinking? Praise God for the manna. I mean, it's better than nothing. You know, if you've ever been to the land of Egypt like I have, and, and that land over there, when you walk out there, there's not a blade of grass nowhere. You know, if God didn't raise up supernatural, those animals didn't eat and then people didn't eat. So, they grumbled and complained. We want meat to eat. God says, okay, I'll give you meat. Now, see, they're asking how? Grumbling and plain and complaining. We want meat to eat. God says, okay, I'll give you meat. And God says, Moses, now here's a man of faith. He said, God, in fact, this is not the words he used, but he used something else. But he so much as said, God, if you were to open the desert with a train out here, of course, they didn't have trains back in those days, or a freight motor freight company, you couldn't bring enough meat in here to feed all these people in one day. How are you going to do this? Well, you know what God told Moses? He said, you think my arms got any shorter? You think God knew what He was doing, Ernest? He was knew what He was doing. But see, we don't know what He's doing. And we don't see that. We look at this and say, God, we got... We got three. I mean, can you imagine? No, you can't. Can you imagine the amount of food you'd have to have to feed the entire Dallas Fourth Metroplex just one meal today? You couldn't find a place to play. I think when I used to work for the Marriott Corporation, we would put sometimes 40,000 meals a day on airplanes out of the FW airport. 40,000 meals a day. I'm going to tell you, it takes some organization and planning and a group of well-trained people to put 40,000 meals together on an airplane in one day. And did you know that the simple little thing that most people don't realize, you know, every one of you has probably flown on a big commercial jet. And those girls come down the aisle and say, would you like a drink? I'd yeah, like a Dr. Pepper or orange juice or apple juice or whatever. And they reach up and get a plastic cup and dip a little ice and put it in a cup and you get four or five chunks of ice. Do you know everybody on that airplane got four or five chunks of ice? Now somebody said, well, that's not a big deal. It's not until you start feeding 40,000 people a day or 50,000 people a day. And then when you figure the drinks and everything they need, it was nothing uncommon to have to produce Forty to 50,000 pounds of ice in our ice plant every day just to put on airplanes out of the FW airport. You know how much ice that is? A lot. And that was just a little tiny handful. We're talking about 40,000 people going to eat today. We're not talking about three million. How would you like to have the tour to produce a meal for three million? Fred, how would you like that? It would take some kind of planning and training, wouldn't it? It would. But this, 
God, I mean, that's, now you can understand what Moses is saying. God, where are you going to get this kind of food? I mean, you're going to give these people meat? He said, yeah, I'm going to give them meat. And I ain't going to give it to them for one day. And I ain't going to give it to them for two days. Or I ain't going to give it to them for a week. But I'm going to give it to them for a month. And he says, all of a sudden, millions of quails came in right off the ground about this high. Millions. And the people were catching them. I mean, they were putting them in buckets. They were doing, they were knocking them out of the sky. And they were cooking these quail. Whoa, meat. Praise God, there's meat. And it says they ate the meat and they began to vomit and die with the meat between their teeth. You think God was happy with them or unhappy with them? I think He was very unhappy. He was unhappy because of their grumbling and complaining. Now look at what Balaam had done. Balaam had disobeyed God and God told him not to go and he asked him a second time. And he paid the price. Let me tell you today, if there's any lesson out of this that I get, and everybody gets a different lesson out of this. I know we're going to have to have communion here. Today's communion day. But if you ask God or you get to His Word and you see something in His Word and He tells you to not grumble and complain, if He tells you, and do you know that's written in the Word of God? Don't grumble and complain. So if you grumble and complain, that might open the door to the devil to who know who knows what he might do to you. Now if God tells you in his word to do certain things, if he says in his word to love me with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength, and you don't love him with all your mind, all your heart, and all your strength, you put television before him. And you don't ever read the word, but you're his son or you're his daughter. You know one of the things I've seen many times that comes upon people that breaks that first commandment? You know what sickness almost always comes upon a person that breaks the number one commandment? Cancer. Almost every time. And then the second disease that comes upon you, or the second thing that you do that's wrong, is unforgiveness. You hold unforgiveness toward a human being and it will bring cancer. Now, we have ministered to I don't know how many people in the last few years, and without exception, they've either broken the number one commandment or they've got into unforgiveness towards someone and refuse to forgive. When they do, it brings cancer on your body every time. In fact, one of the best church members I thought I had ever seen was a man that I prayed for 20 years ago that went to church every time the door was open. Sunday, he was there. We had three services on Sunday. He came to all of them. All of them. I thought he was the best Christian I knew. But at 42 years of age, he's down with terminal cancer. And when we went to God, he showed us clearly in Psalm 106 what the man's fault was. He said, that man comes to church on Sunday, and he's a great Christian on Sunday, but he's a whore the rest of the week. He's a whore the rest of the week. He's a prostitute. He sells himself to the business world and he never reads my word and doesn't talk about me six days a week. He only gives me one day a week and the world six. So since he is a spiritual whore, he has opened the door to the devil and the devil is killing him with cancer. 
But God in His mercy, that man, I showed him and told him what the truth was from God's Word. And that man repented of his sins. We anointed him with oil and prayed the prayer of faith over him 20 years ago. And that man's still alive and well today. Is God a merciful God? But hey, let me tell you, don't go there. Don't go to sin. You know, give Him every day. You know, give Him every day. Right, Ernest? Amen. Give the Lord every day. Serve Him, worship Him, and praise Him, and thank Him every day. And then you don't never have to worry about being sick. Walk holy before Him. Don't get mad at somebody. Don't get into unforgiveness towards someone. Love. You know, walk in love. Do what He says. Love. I command you, Juanita, I command you to love everybody. You know that, don't you? Ernest, I command you, the Word says, to love everyone. I mean, if He commanded us, reckon we ought to obey? Now, when Balaam didn't obey, what happened to him? The angel of the Lord was sent with a sword. How would you like to walk out that door and you're, today you lied to somebody? Or you stole from somebody? Or you cheated somebody out of something today? And you walked out the door and there was an angel of the Lord sitting out there and he stuck a spiritual sword in you and something come upon you and you were dead before night. How would you like to be one of those? I don't want to be one, do you? No. I want to walk in obedience to the Word. I want to walk in love. It ain't worth it. It's a, it's a whole lot better dividends to love everybody all the time. Doesn't it keep? Yeah. I mean, it pays such great dividends to walk in love. Because God says, when you walk in love, I will bless your socks off. And He does that. He does that. Wow, does He ever. Well, we're going to pass that communion now. Uh, whoever's going to help us, I don't know who's going to do that. Uh, Dave and uh, I don't know if Wally's going to help. He's back there. Rosemary's back there. Uh, I don't know who all's going to help, but I think they got a team back there. Okay, James is back there. All of them back there. So if you all will pass out the communion, and uh, Melody's going to play us some music, and we're going to take communion today. Now, before you take this communion... I want you to check your life, and if you've got anything wrong in your life, you get it confessed and repented of right this minute. Don't you dare take communion with any kind of a known sin in your life. Get it taken care of. Thank you, sir. Yes, Ty. Oh, you want something? Lord's given me a word for the day, and I want to pass it to all of y'all. Today is, is the most holy day of the year for the Jews. And it's called the Day of Atonement. And we've heard two people get up today and talk about this. I had a person call me this morning and ask me to forgive them. And, and the Lord had had this on my heart all week long. Today is a day that the Lord says, I want you to fast. He said, I want you to afflict your soul. That means humble yourself. Said, I want you to fast from sundown to sundown. And during this time, I want you to examine yourself. And I want you to ask me to show you if there's anyone you have unforgiveness toward. All day long. And once you've afflicted your soul, humbled yourself, and and sought me to, to reveal this to you, and I'll reveal these people to you. 
I want you to go to them and ask them to forgive you. Then, I want you to repent and I'll forgive you of all of your sins. He said that this is a statute that will be forever for all of my people and those who are with my people. So that means you and I. Amen. So Daddy wants you just doing this. And I know most of you don't have any idea about this. My people perish for their lack of knowledge of my ways. But you can fast the rest of the day till sundown. And ask the Lord to examine your souls. To examine your heart and reveal to you anyone that, that you've got unforgiveness toward. This last week, or this week while we were in California, we had many, many people who, who had problems. Three of the people that, that we ministered to began manifesting when I asked them to forgive. These demons are very, very powerful. And if you don't ask the Lord to help you, they just get more and more of a foothold in your life. And you'll become more and more in bondage to the destroyer. So I just want to encourage all of you now to just the rest of the day, spend your day, the rest of this day, just examining. Examining yourself and just saying, Daddy, who have I not forgiven? Who, who keeps coming up to me that I can't forgive? And then when He does, just forgive them. And if He tells you to call them, then pick up the phone and call them. You'll set them free at the same time you're being set free. And then when sundown comes this evening and, and you eat, just give thanks to the Lord. Because He says, if you'll do this, I'll forgive you. But you've got to do it first. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise yeah. the Lord. Yeah. Absolutely. So what that word that Ty gave us there is a great word. So you want to make sure that you've done that. Do not hold a grudge against anybody for anything. Forgive. And if there's anything else you've done, any kind of sin, you need to repent of that sin and ask the Lord to cleanse and purify and scrub the inside of your heart. Because out of the mouth the heart speaks. And you want the inside of your heart to be clean and pure. All thoughts to be clean and pure about everybody all the time. Now this bread that we hold in our hand is a symbol of the precious body of our Savior that was beaten and bruised and pierced so that we can be healed. This paid the price for you because He's told us by His stripes we are healed. Now, this body that He was in paid that price for you so by faith you can receive that healing. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, we praise You and thank You for this piece of bread which is a symbol of Your body. Oh, Lord, I am so grateful. I cannot tell You how grateful I am that I've had the privilege to live on this side of the cross. Oh, Lord, how grateful. I, my, Lord, I pour my heart out to you in love and worship and praise and thanksgiving for what you did through the body of your Son. Now, Lord, we take it and we bless this to our bodies. In Jesus' name, 
this is a hard thing if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood you have nothing in me well Lord we just ate your flesh now we're going to drink your blood because this juice that we hold in this little container is a symbol of of the most powerful thing in the universe. It was the blood of our King that was poured out for you and for me so that we could have victory over sin. Every time we sin as a child of God, we make a decision. We can choose to sin and live an eternal life, or we can choose, I mean, choose to love and walk in obedience and not sin and live eternal life or we can choose to go the way of sin which will bring forth death many of the times I have made the wrong choice in my life but I'm now trying my best to not make that bad choice no more I'm trying not to let the enemy get through to me I want to walk in obedience to God's word and I want to walk in love toward all people all the time I don't want nothing to offend me I don't want to go there with unforgiveness. I want to walk in life. So, the king, what he did, he gave me that privilege. When somebody does something, I had the privilege to, like I said a while ago, driving down the road with a tire. I had the privilege to step out and say, Oh, I can't believe this happened to me and I'm on the way to church. Or I can get out and look and say, Praise your name, Lord. I don't know why this happened. But I know it happened for a reason. So I'm blessing your name for this flat tire. I'm blessing your name that I'm going to fix this and we're going to go on. And I'm going to give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. And you pass your test. And when you do, it might very well have saved your life. Those few seconds. Did you know? Just to tell you the difference, what one second can make in your life. The other day, I pulled up out there close to where I live to a railroad track. The, the deals had not come down. They were still up. The lights were blinking. I saw the lights blinking and I looked and there was a train coming about 40 miles an hour. So I stopped because I saw the lights. There was a gentleman on the other side that was coming up and he made a right turn to come up and over the hump and I thought, I'm looking, I'm sitting right there against the tracks, and I'm looking. And this guy, he don't see the lights because he's coming sideways to them, and he turns, and the arms have not come down, and he's coming right on across. And I said, Lord, please help him. I knew I was fixing to see a man get killed. I knew it. But I was crying out, God, please be merciful to this guy. And this guy come right across the bounce and just cleared the tracks by inches when a train went and that guy when he looked in his mirror and saw that he slammed on the brake and he literally just panicked sitting there in his car 
I looked over at him. I said, sir, are you okay? He couldn't talk. But the train missed him if he had been one second out of sync where he was. One second. He would have been dead. That train, one second, one second would have hit him broadside. Somebody said, oh, well, what's one second? Let me tell you, in a case like that, it's different between life and death. Now then, the Lord gives us a choice to not sin or to sin. But if we sin, then we'll be in the wrong place when the train comes along. And it can kill you. It can kill you. Don't go there. You have a choice every time because of this blood. The power in this blood can give you the ability to say, Lord, I ain't going to sin. I'm going to walk holy in your presence. He came and defeated the forces of darkness so you can make that choice every day. And you and I will make that choice every day of our life. Every day. Sometimes many times a day. And we can make the right choice every time if we remember because of this we have power over sin. Father, we thank you for this blood. This precious blood of your Son that you poured out upon us and blessed us so abundantly with so many things. And Lord, we're no different than the Israelite children. We can be blessed like they were. And five minutes later, just like they were, we can forget what you done for us yesterday. But Lord, help us that we don't ever forget what you done for us. That we walk holy and obedient to your word every day of our lives. And we give you all the praise and the glory for this juice which we take as a representation of your blood. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the King. Thank you, Jesus. If you're new here and you don't know, all the media back there is free. You can take anything you want. We've got sacks back there. You can take what you want. We do not charge for it. Any of it. If you want to give a donation to our ministry, the box is sitting over here on your right as you go out. And if you want a donation receipt, put it in an envelope and give us the information so we can know who you are and what you want. And if you give a check, just make it out to TLSM. But anyway, that's over there. Now then, okay, you got another word? Yeah. Did you turn that on? Uh, okay. I just, uh, Eileen told me that she went to a Jewish church this morning. She says the fast begins at sundown tonight. So that means all of you can fast tonight and tomorrow from sundown to sundown. So you didn't miss it. <laughs> so just examine yourself. Examine yourself and read Matthew 5.43. Through 48 it says, if you want to be perfect like your daddy in heaven, all you got to do is love, love your enemies, love your enemies, bless those who hate you, do good to those who cursed you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. And when you can do that, he says, then you'll be one of my children. <laughs> and then he says, then you'll be perfectly trained, as is your daddy in heaven. So, that's where we all want to go, isn't it? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Remember, Tuesday night Bible study, 7 till 9. Praise the Lord. Come and expecting great things from the Lord. And anybody that needs any kind of prayer for anything, any kind of decision you want to make for Christ, if you want to come up here 
we will be here. Cheryl and I will be here. Ty and Cheryl will be up here. We'll be here to pray for you, to minister to you. And if you don't have anything you need to be prayed for, we'll praise the Lord. You are dismissed to stand around and talk with each other and have a blessed time.